so I mean, I like to think of it as like, uh, you know, back in college, you're driving around, the person you're rooming with looks at this dirty couch on the side of the road and thinks, oh, that's a great idea. And, and you know, you both eventually agree, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And then once you get it there, you're like, man, this is just such a terrible, terrible kid. <laughs> Frankly, I, th I think that uh, starting a brewery is a little bit like that. <laughs> Seemed like a great idea on the, on the ride back from Oregon, but... Uh, you may have been hearing whispers of a new brewery in Ballard. It's a bit difficult to describe this brewery with its bizarre state of opening. Technically, it's a production-only facility with beers on tap and a few local bars and bottle houses, but despite that, it feels more like an advanced homebrew setup. And owners, Rob, John, and Frank, would probably agree, because at various points in the week, they find time to attend their day jobs as well as brew at the brewery. That hopefully won't be the case much longer, as they've just started making moves to a new taproom in Magnolia next to Urban Family and Figurehead. And they've also hired a brand new full-time brewer, Sean, who contributes his experience and opinions to this sour-only brewery. Welcome to Dirty Couch. I'm the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. You can read it many different ways. You know, there's the nice little comfort because a lot of this stuff is it's kind of bougie. You know, it's like mm -hmm. it's closer to the wine, you know, style. And I'm going to take this dirty couch and put it in my house. I'm going to sleep on it. You know, like it's humbling. Humbling. <laughs> we went to uh, John's uh, bachelor party uh, and I've. I've been in love with sours for, I don't know, 12 years in a hungover state. I don't remember who, Frank or John, uh, was like, we should start a sour brewery our first issue there we decided to do that we for whatever reason thought that uh, that having a sour brewery instead of uh, making more ipas was the right choice unfortunately they take about two years to mature sometimes i'm frank spiderski i am one of the people who started this i'm sean i'm the first employee here uh, i'm rob one of the other persons that started this but i really just came here to drink. Really, it's a one-man operation and three uh, three people <laughs> harassing me. <laughs> like, Sean, what to do? Yeah. No, wait, you helped me cap some bottles the other day. I did. And you just fixed the electrical box. So. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I would be nowhere without you guys. So. <laughs> oh, that, that makes me feel good. Uh, we're at our production facility in Ballard. We have a we have a camera outside and we have we have a collection of of, uh, of bag drop videos. Yeah, no, yeah that's pretty sweet. Yeah. We leave a backpack on mm -hmm. our like one of our recycling bins and then we'll yeah. walk away and then some other dudes yeah you're like oh yeah that's yeah, it's tough man yeah we don't we don't have another facility it yeah. sounds cool yeah it sounds cool well no I actually today we have early possession so we signed a lease so technically this is our one of two we're expanding guys yeah. It's bigger. It's around 3,800 square feet or so, so it's got a big, um, uh, you know, I mean, if you do any amount of research, you can figure out exactly which building it is, um, mm. but uh, it's got a big a big uh, brew space, actually decent-sized brew space, um, but really high ceilings, so we'll be have good stacks there, but um, tap room, uh, at least according to plan, assuming we get permits and everything like that, it's uh, it's, it's two levels, main, main floor with the, you know, with the serving station, everything like that. There'll be an upstairs with a kind of an open area that, uh, that allows you to look into the brewery where all the barrels and everything like that are. Um, should have, a, hopefully should have a deck on the outside and everything like that. So it should be plenty, you know, plenty big for uh, for, for what it is. Um, plenty of space in the brewery for, for barrels, voters, things like that.
Watch out. <laughs> Making sour beers is a risky endeavor. Or perhaps not so much. With all the bugs and yeast required to make sour beer, attending the brew house in plentiful numbers, it's actually more risky to try to make a non-sour beer here. Put like hot water and grain in a bucket and uh, let it get gross and then uh, <laughs> run with it. That's not, pretty much the... But not too hot. It's not too hot and not too gross. Yeah. Yeah. That's the important part. Yeah, that's, 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 that's where the magic happens. Really similar to, to starting a sourdough culture. Water and your, your grain and you let it sit there and you know bump up the temperature a little bit to, to encourage certain types of bacteria to grow and, and sour it, lower the pH. Every like sour brewery has like a different production process. Say we do, we like to do sour mash here on like one of our styles, which I think is really interesting, where we're just like souring the grain and it creates all these like off-putting flavors at first that transform into really interesting flavors over time. Like Sean said, you get some pretty off-putting flavors. I think it smells fantastic. Some of yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. Like the last one we did, yeah. it smelled like like olive tapenades. Oh like yeah, tapenade kind of thing. It was really interesting. Yeah. So, but you get the like the so what Sean the the beer that Sean was talking about, the Berliner Weiss that we that we've got at uh, is sour mash. We'd released it last year. We've actually we were going to re-release it this year as barrel aged. You know, so a blend of something that's about a year old and, and about six months old, primarily the six month. You get a lot of mango and pineapple off of it, even though there's no fruit in it at all. So not just sour, but a lot of, like, like you said, tropical kind of flavors. Since you're working on it right now, what are you working on? I was brewing a, another batch of our uh, sour porter. So we're standing actually right next to like the the, the mash tun and everything. So yeah. we're mm -hmm. yeah, we're right in the center of the brewery. I mean, we yeah. could it not be? It's, it's <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> you are in the doorway. You are. Maybe. What do you guys want to describe what this looks like? What this place feels like? Like a closet that you put <laughs> all your shit in, and you gotta like you know find your socks in the morning, and you're like. I wish I went to the container store to get some <laughs> shelving to yeah. help it out, but I don't really have any room to put any shelving up. It's cozy. It's uh, cozy is cozy is a word for Frustrating. it. Frustrating. I got a lot of words. So. Let's put it this way: it's it's 700 square feet. We have a seven barrel system and 74 uh, oak barrels or so, uh, in addition to five fermenters and a bright. It's packed to the gills. Yeah, a little bit. It's a, it's basically an old garage garage bay there's some old timber old timber beams and everything like that we were joking this would would actually be a good place for a cool ship but you know it's a month-to-month -month lease and and frankly will probably be uh, gone in the next couple of years because that's what's been happening in ballard but but yeah no it's uh it's uh it's adequate for aging the, this quantity but it's not uh, not good enough to fit photos or more barrels or anything like that just a quick refresher on some of those weird beer terms you might not have caught. He mentioned his bright tank, which is basically a big tank you store beer in while it clarifies and ages. He slipped in a comment about a cool ship, which is basically a big, long vessel open exposed to the air where you would cool down recently brewed wort and allow it to mix and mingle with whatever bacteria and yeast are present in the area. It's a very Belgian thing to do. He also mentioned a fodor, which is basically a wooden fermentation vessel. Does some fancy stuff to beer. We have some fruited beers. I would yeah. say Frank's philosophy on fruit is like 
one tenth of what the industry standard is. It's like, and that's too much. But I, I agree with it too. I think over over fruiting things mm. is the trend right now. And personally, I like more balanced malt and yeast driven beers with like a fruit accent. So I think that's more of our style right now. Yeah. What we're doing right now is like mildly fruited, funky, more complex, oaky beers rather than fruit forward, um, acid forward beers, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were to compare it to the, to a non-alcoholic beverage, it's like hint water. I don't like, don't get me wrong. I don't like hint water. So maybe it's not the best comparison, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like Sean said, it's not fruit forward. You get, you get it, but it's not the major component. So we're probably, I think, maybe about 50-50 uh, fruited and unfruited you know, across a range of, of about 12 or so different uh, different beers that we've got right now. Yeah, I like beers where there's sort of a seamless transition from like yeast to fruit flavors, sort of, and it's not like you are kind of in the dark about what is actually coming from the fruit and from the yeast because so many of our yeast profiles are already so estuary and fruity mm-hmm. that I think it's nice to sort of make it a mystery as to like, you know, is this coming from fruit? Is this coming from yeast rather than just like a beer that's it's a special bright tapestry. red, like a special tapestry. Your, your tapestry. analogies are just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was an analogy. We should keep no. saying that it's a tapestry and then Frank saying it's terrible. Like Almond blueberry milkshake is the only lactose beer I will agree to. My opinion counts. Sounds, that's, that sounds pretty well. Of course it does. It ah. sounds pretty s- specific, though. That's the only one I'll make. It's the only one. So, whoever's listening, get ready. Marzipan. Marzipan everything. Lard. Yep. What? <laughs> lard. No. No lard. So, for sour beers, we do co-inoculation with pretty much everything, except the... Lambic style, <laughs> wild ale, Cascadian a, wild ale. Let's call it a wild ale. Let's call it a lambic to avoid confusion. <laughs> we pitch the brewer's yeast after we pitch the wild culture, which probably contains some yeah, saccharomyces sure. in it oh, yeah. as well. It's harvested from local fruit, the yeast culture on that one. But everything else is we pitch bacteria and yeast at the same time. On some of them, we pitch Pediococcus lactobacillus for bacteria and Saccharomyces strains, like on the Sour Blonde. And then it has a Brett blend in it as well, right? The Sour Blonde, yeah. Yeah. So that one's like everything. That's pretty much got it. That one's got the whole squad. But it it depends on the beer. Some of them are just lacto-ferment with Saccharomyces, like the Blackberry Berliner. Yeah. Just, but then once they go into the barrels, they're definitely catching some of the bugs of everything else. So there is probably some consistency to our house culture and that they all share, you know, the same space and they're probably all sharing microorganisms yeah. to some degree because of the oak. We like to pull barrel samples too, so, you know, they're... That'll cross-contaminate. Sean, Sean's been, Sean's been uh, harassing us to use nails, stainless nails. Yeah, we need to put nails in our barrels. That's like we'll, a... We'll get there. Definitely the next step. I think they call them Vinny nails, colloquially, from the guy at Russian River, Vinny. But it's just like a nail in a barrel that you pull out to try the beer so that you don't have to disturb the pellicle in the top or you don't cross-contaminate all the barrels by like... Really but I think the, the cross-contamination uh, use, is kind of cool. We, kinda, use, we, use, we use sterile... Uh, 
It's no, yeah. I think so, but what we do works, still, and I yeah, think when it you, benefits yeah. our production. Like I like the cross contamination and how yeah. there's a consistency. There's That's a yeast fair. profile which kind of pervades the entire brewery. Yeah, every time you open one of those bungs, They're, they seem to be reaching a equilibrium. A lot of them, where it's like sometimes they'll taste a little bit weird this way, a little bit off that way, and then over time, even the short few weeks I've worked here. Seems like some of them, they just like go back to tasting nice, consistent quality, a lot of them. Like the apricot one specifically had a bit of a weirdness in a barrel when I first started. Like yeah. before I started, wasn't my favorite, and now it's sort of... It's mellowed out. Yeah, it's mellowed out. So there's definitely... Everything sort of changes into something that tastes like dirty couch. Ah. There you go. <laughs> right, we've had beers that have not tasted great. Um, and with some blending and re-fermentation, you know, you can, a lot of times you can, you can fix those with, with age, right? So sometimes you can, you can correct the, 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 uh, the direction with, uh, you know, adding Brett or, or something like that. You know, it changes. It is a different beer at that point. But, um, but yeah, you can, you can do a lot with, with age. Right? Uh, as, long as, you're, as long as your base process is, is okay and you don't get an, 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 you know, a, an infection that actually makes it a, a bad beer. I don't think there's any risk making sour beers here. There's yeah, a risk making yeah. anything else. That's frankly, the, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> Sean's, Sean's right, and it, you know, and making sour beers is easy. Sour beers, a little, you know, <laughs> if you have time, it's yeah. easy. Oh yeah, if, if, you, if you're, you're patient, if you can be patient. Really that's the, yeah. that's really the key. You, the beer tells you yeah. when it's ready. You don't tell you don't tell the beer. It's yeah. ready. Hey, beer, you're ready. Yeah. No, that never works. Where can people find your beer? Yeah. Jake's Pizza. Mammoth, Mammoth and Eastlake, great sandwiches, great bottle selection of that place. Go check it out. They have our draft. I think they have a dark bourbon sour from us right now. Uber Tavern carries us. Olaf's sometimes, flat stick. Seen us at Chuck's before. Chuck's, yeah. We were, we were lugging around kegs during lunchtime. So mm -hmm. I got an hour. You know, we all work in Fremont, so it's like, where can I eat something real quick? Try to do a pouring or drop off a keg and then get back, you know, before I got to start work, you know, my primary job right now. Like, brewing is, is just basically to satisfy my uh, alcoholism. The funny thing about opening in fallish or whenever we, we end up getting permits and everything like that, but, you know, is that we're, we're going to open and then it's going to be like, oh, a new brewery. But, it, but in fact, we've, we've been doing this at that point. We'll, we'll have been two and a half years that we were licensed and, and brewing federally. Um, you know, and, and as you know, distributing at least on a small scale for over a year at this, at this point right now. Um, you know, so, you know, we're kind of new, you know, we're, we're going to be new to a game that other people are playing in at this, you know, at this point when we started it, we were like, okay, oh, we're going to bring, you know, we're going to bring great barrel aged sours to, uh, to Seattle. But of course, in, in, the, in the interim, everybody else had that plan, and, and, but they were already established and things like that. And so, um, so you know, there's some, uh, there's some good things about it in the, in the fact that, like, you know, we're excited about what we make because they are the kinds of beers that we, that we like. Like Sean said, you know, we're not, we're not super fruit for, we use it as an accent, you know. Um, and so that's kind of exciting because, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do what we want to do. On the other hand, you know, it's a, it's a crowded space. And you were asking about, like, our opinion on the brewery industry and things like that going on, you know. So there's, there's a lot of risk. And we've, um, at this point, we put in 
a, a good amount of investment and, and opening up a bigger space is, is again a, a big investment and so you know who knows how things will how, how things will fare there's other breweries so I mean I, I think our relationship is pretty good I think there's a lot of there's a lot of really fantastic beers uh, coming out of uh, coming out of Seattle we're hoping to be one of those um, you know and I think that there is the, the good thing about this is that there's plenty of room in Seattle left and I think part of that stems from the part of that stems from the growth it's also you know if you live in Seattle it's also one of the unfortunate things about Seattle right now it contributes yeah. to those Ballard rents among other things but um, but uh, but yeah no I, I think it's a you know it's a great place to be brewing beer and, and we're, we're pretty excited to be part of it regardless of, of how we end up succeeding or failing so yeah. But in terms of the beer industry as a whole, yeah, I, it's, <laughs> that's a tough one. I mean, you hear you're constantly hearing about like these, you know, these breweries all, all over the country that are that are failing, having to close. You know, what was it Green Flash or whatever just recently had to, you know, close a major investment that they just moved into, um, partly because things like you know AB and Bev are, are buying up, uh, you know, like how many of those uh, craft breweries that are that are actually owned by AB and Bev? That's kind of unfortunate, right? Um, it's uh, it's it's a hard situation, but but I think that at the end of the day, the uh, these sorts of things always come in cycles, and and like the big whoever it is, the, the the big player in the industry will take things over, but then you know they homogenize everything, right? And and so it takes it takes craft brewers, it takes you know uh, you know local uh, small shop restaurants, it takes small retailers and things like that to to keep that in check and actually you know retain that culture of whatever it is, whether it's beer or something else. So. Personally, I think that localism is where craft brewery should be headed and we should be focused on making a quality product and growing slowly rather than growing quick and shooting out a bunch of beer to sit on shelves forever just to like, you know, make the profit margin that you need to this month. I think when you're focused on local small businesses then you have more control over the quality of product and a closer connection to your employees and to your customers yeah and i think that personally the mid-sized like regional brewery is just one step away from like a big corporation and that's the direction that they want to head in and i think hopefully philosophically we want to stay more quality focused small independent yeah. craft brewery sounds sounds right i mean that's reasons why we're all working together here yeah we, we're not you know it, obviously we want to turn a profit um the you know i think the an advantage that we have not necessarily over, over other people but just an advantage we have over over just kind of generally speaking we don't have any debt outside of debt to ourselves right so um everything's been funded through through our own pockets which is expensive and, and including this uh, this new location and so um, we're not necessarily beholden to any debt or repaying something, uh, you know, or anything like that. So we can, as Sean said, we can kind of stay focused on what we actually want to do, and um, less less on less on growth and more on just uh, quality and, and having a good time and, and doing what we what we think is, is right. So, being a sour brewery and all these guys had some pretty intense opinions about the lambic style and they kind of went on this really long rant about it and uh that's kind of my fault i sort of got them started i'm just introducing this i'm gonna let you listen to the whole thing it's pretty fun 
but I mean, you know, the, like I here's my opinion on it. And I'm gonna offend some people. A lot of a lot of these things are, you know, are really just how good the region was about lobbying mm-hmm. for regulations, right? I mean, you know, you look at uh, you look at uh, you look at the, the actual regulations with the TTB and their, you know, it's varying degrees of what you're allowed to say. Right, and that depends largely on whether or not they become common use, and they become common use when they're, you know, when they were when when they were used frequently enough before regulation. So, like a porter, right? You know, anyone could call something a porter, right? But you can't go and just call something a lambic, oh. right? Or you maybe can, right? Um, there's kind of differing degrees of, of legalness with uh, with respect to the labeling versus what you what you may actually just call it. But so you know. Sean's got some religion in, in ah, terms ah, of like whether or not you should even have lambic style, uh, you know, even if you're doing a turban mash and you know, and and, and all these uh, all these things that make it uh, very you know very lambic like very lambic like because it is not from from the region or from one of the traditional breweries that it, that it shouldn't be, and that's fine. I don't, I don't really care, but you know, if you compare that to, to something like a, a Flanders or various other you know various other things where there wasn't necessarily as much you know, control over the use of the of the name, you know, it's just like wine. Uh, yeah, uh, personally, I don't really I don't really care. I mean, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's uh, you know, I think that you need to respect that that something is. Uh, indigenous to a region and if it's actually produced there then you know call it call it what it is a lambic we're, we're not from that area we can't call it a lambic but you know you want to call something a lambic style I don't, I don't really care sean disagrees so we don't call it a lambic style. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you on principle yeah I mean, yeah, it's a regional thing, and we take all kinds of regions and call it regional style, I guess. I just have a reverence for that style that I don't have for other styles. It's fair. I mean, you know, like, like a Berliner Weiss, right? You know, yeah. that, another, another example of something that came from a region, although, in, in fact, that, that region produces very what, little. What Berliner Weiss would it. you ever trade for? I mean, the Hotteroth used used to be like, really yeah, great. Yeah, that was right? a great beer. Yeah, yeah. Before they moved, but you never trained for it. Oh, no. The old, the old one. If you could yeah, get a yeah, really so old one, like sure. Two thousand nine yeah. Hotteroth. Yeah, they didn't even make it then. So I, yeah, I I get it. I get the respect and, and everything like that. And and it's you know it's a hard it's a hard beer to produce properly, right? And and so you know anyone who thinks that they can go and produce a, a lambic is is probably mistaken. Right, um, but you know it's, it's produced in a certain way, and all these are produced in a certain way, and, and uh, you know the the fact that the whether or not you call it something is kind of disjoint from whether or not you brew it that way is is all kind of silly. I don't mind just calling it wild ale, right? You know, just uh, the you know I, I feel more that consistency is important. You either you either say it's a whatever style, or you just don't call it that at all. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we're not quite. As consistent as I want to be, we'll get there. It takes time. Yeah. So, if you were brewing a lambic of the quality that you wanted yeah. it to be, if you could make the yeah. lambic quality lambic, yeah, then would you call it a lambic? Or can no, you, or that's not even allowed. So. I, you know, honestly, I don't like. I don't. I don't really care. We just call it a lambic. <laughs> okay. But it's. Uh, <clears throat> this is my favorite fight to have. It's to be honest. I like the word because it's just concise. 
if you can make it the, to that level, I like it. It's just like you know, horror. Pro- you just know what you're getting. Yeah, and what, you know, one of the problems is that if you you know you talk to somebody who's really into lambics or you know whatever the case may be, then they're like, no, this is this, this is reserved for proper lambics, yeah. right? Um, you know, but you know, how many times have have we been uh, at a bar or something like that talking about the brewer and somebody says, oh, are you going to brew a lambic, right? You know, so there's there's a difference between there's also a difference between like you know people who are really into a certain style of beer and the, the general public, and so you know some. Yeah. The amount of money that people pay for lambic versus other beers puts it in a special category. You know what I mean? It's like people are paying four hundred dollars a bottle for lambics. It's dumb. It is dumb, but you can't put yourself in that category. No matter who you are. No, I agree. I, it's like I, a, I, it's yeah, we're not for you know. We're not dis- we're not disagreeing on on that. It's like you can't call you can't call a sparkling wine shit. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, you know, it's, it's that's fine. Yeah, I agree. It is all about lobbying. It's, a, it it's is, a political. It's all about lobbying and money and yeah. and, and cachet and, and and these and these sorts of things. But and, the quality and, of that product, to me, sure, is on the is on yeah, the level. That's you right. know. It's my religion. In fairness, we have nothing called a lambic. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. That was awesome. Yeah, delete all the offensive stuff we said. <laughs> yeah, so in other words, delete the entire lambic conversation. <laughs> I, I'd hate to alien. Oh, yeah. That's good editing right there. If you want to hear more episodes of Washington Beer Talk, then go to cyclingcistern.com. They're all up there. You can also find them wherever you get your podcasts, like Stitcher, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Do you know a brewery that wants to be on Washington Beer Talk? Then go to cyclingcistern.com and contact me. We'll talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please leave a rating. Go back to Facebook and comment and like. The best way to support the Cycling Cistern is to get on your bike and drink. Please bike and drink responsibly. conversation is great that's that's exactly what they want to hear right now yeah. people want to hear craft breweries talking about this exact thing that's fine I it's mean, such a hot topic yeah you know, like at the end of the day we're going to respect the fact that yeah the, you know lambic is a special style yeah we're not, we're not going to call something even if it even if it is brewed yeah. in that style we're not going to call it a wall lambic wall lambic washington lambic Ooh. Mm. I think like, it's a, like waluigi it's terrible <laughs> super mario bros that's a, that's a Terrible analogy. Waluigi's from Washington? Waluigi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that. <laughs> I I almost turned off the mic in time to miss that. I, I got it, though. Good. <laughs> right. But that is the opening yes. comments of the brewery. Waluigi. Waluigi. Shout out. Make some Walamics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, now we're done.